Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash smartest for your free audiobook download. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Proops. Greetings and reputations to the Proopals, Prunoggins, Proop Wheels, Proop Sloppers, Proops Piglets, Proopapedes, Proop Cindiary Devices, Proopalupas, Proopatillions, Proopats Prestations, Proopalettas, Proops Hoagies, Propooses, and Proops Hounds. The smartest man in the world, a Proopcast, once again takes to the air from the cooking surroundings of the vermilion back room of the unbelievable Bar Lubitsch located here in the western half of Hollywood. I thank you very much for listening. I also thank you if you're here uh, in the house with me. Um, sitting but feet away from me watching me stir my drink. Uh, if you're over in Germany, I know we have listeners in Germany. Guten Tag. Uh, and for our French listeners, mm. uh, light up a galois and pull up a giant bowl of coffee and dive right in. Stick some of those amazing baked goods into that giant bowl and let's have a uh, proof de resistance. Um, and shit like that. And for our Belgian friends, do the same, but with less panache. <laughs> Apparently we have a very pro-Belgian crowd here tonight that feels that somehow you're diminishing Belgium or that you're sensitive on their behalf. I'm getting kind of a huff-po feel hybrid. Kind of hybrid driving feel from some of the crowd tonight. I don't know about you, Mac. Uh, Matt. Whatevs. Listen, don't fucking rent an apartment that's off my dick for two seconds is what I have to say to the fucking world today, okay? I don't know what happened today, but I woke up like a hermit crab, like on the day that you have to change shells. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus Christ, is this up my ass? I'm like, what is it? Everything's cool. That shell's beautiful. It's opalescent. It was left by a conch, and, and, and you've been living in it for six and a half months. I don't know what the fuck it is. I'm tired of crawling sideways with this fucking burden on my ass. Uh, and it's perfect because then you drive around LA and then you're just like everyone else <laughs> absolutely heedless of human life passing people on the right I think when people honk at me for no fucking reason in LA is the moment that I most wish I was armed with a red eye rocket launcher because I don't think a 22 really says goodbye like a fucking yeah like a ground to ground fucking metal driven computer fucking assisted missile launch from my fucking car into your fucking white Tahoe, you douche! <laughs> Don't fucking honk because there's an old lady in front of me in the sidewalk. That's why I'm not going forward. Not because I'm trying to hold you up from going to your fucking roofie pickup in Brentwood. <laughs> GD it. Uh, let's take care of business before... Uh, um, Oh, God, who is it? Is it Office Depot? Is that the worst song ever? How many companies have used that fucking piece of shit? It's from my high school, of course, like everything in the world. Somehow my generation ended up dominating with bad songs, and that one was, you know the one I'm talking about. Taking care of business every day. And it has that awesome Canadian white guy fucking indolent trailer, trailer park delivery on it, right? Because get up every morning when the alarm clock morning, take the 8.15 into the city. There's whistle up above and then horribly people pushing people shoving above and shoving <laughs> interior on and the girls are trying to look pretty uh, let's just stop right there for a second Bachman Turner overweight first of all 
the girls are trying to look pretty. Of all unfuckable bands of the 70s, BTO might be in the top five. You know what I'm saying? Some of the boys who were wearing fur collars and blue spangles should have tried to look pretty, Randy. I'm looking in your direction. Uh, yeah. If the train's on, what is it? Time you can get to work by now. Start your slaving job and get your pay. What the fuck? If you ever get annoyed, what is it? Look at me, I'm self-employed. I love to work at nothing all day. Fucking, I want to know that dude, man. He doesn't want to fucking do anything. And that's what life's all about, right? Just fucking doing nothing. Because girls are trying to look pretty. Uh, yeah. Taking care of business. That one is a toughie. That one is a real toughie. Kind of like hot-blooded. I believe it's the query, come on, baby, do you do more than dance, that is so Pokemon rapey. It's like, don't, don't be cute about this. I've got you in the corner. I've had a couple whiskeys. Frankly, your feelings don't matter that much right now. Is, is the preface line to, come on, baby, do you? First of all, wow, yeah. Forage Gunner uh, was very tough going through a good deal. Uh, and having said that, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, having never bought a Foragener album when I was uh, a Foragener age, and I lived through their glory years, uh, quite uh, apart from their glory. And about two years ago, I was invited to, um, what is it? Mark and Brian's Rockin' Christmas. And it was awesomely, and I've told this story before because Fee Weibel was in the house uh, that night. I, my, my, I couldn't be more delighted that one of my favorite high school bands, The Tubes, I'm friends with the singer now, a thousand years after. I used to go see them on LSD. And uh, he was singing Talk to You Later with this all-star band of Slash and everybody. And then um, Foreigner was there, and they fucking got up after, and I fucking cried with joy. Okay? Little fucking confession from the old proof skittle. I fucking, they got up there and they did fucking, what's that horrible? Fill my eyes with that double vision. Ooh, when it gets through to me. I was like, oh, this is fucking good. Pumping my fist in the air and shit. They sounded fucking good. They really did. There's only one foreigner left. The rest, absolute foreigners. Uh, only one native foreigner. The others, complete immigrant migrant foreigners. Uh, which is ironic, or rather coincidental, in a band called Foreigner that there should be so many people from other bands. Um, yeah, I, I have to admit, I uh, thought they were better than <clears throat> I would. Um, we're back here uh, in May. Uh, May. We're not back here in May. Uh, I mentally am back here in May. Uh, because there's pleasure chest, as you know, across the street here we finished Fishuary and now we're in the middle of Slarch and of course next month is Gapril and then and you can take that as you will and I'm sure you will and then after that uh, comes May or Gay if you will and or even Shmay and uh, we're not here yet we don't have any dates for May but we do have a, a March dates we're going to be in Austin uh, this Saturday which will be completely irrelevant I think to this proofcast we'll have done that by then uh, so I'll, I'll be talking about Austin and then uh, London at the Soho Theatre on the 27th uh, Glasgow at the Tron Theatre on the 29th uh, Paris for our friends in Europe uh, we'll be at exactly thank you that was exactly the right reaction if you'd added a la la to that it would have been even more awesome she went ooh Thank you. Thank you. Can I get a la-la? Where are the fucking Teletubbies for backup when you need them? Can I get a fucking la-la? 
Euh, bonjour, bonsoir. Euh, je m'appelle Grégoire. Euh, C'est une blague. Euh, une, 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 une blague de Dick. Uh, Paris at La Java, which is, uh, as I've described before, has unspeakable restrooms with cameras in them so they can watch you sell drugs. <laughs> then I believe we're at the San Jose Improv on April 12th. That might change. We're at Chicago uh, at the Zanies on the 19th. Um, Chicago's going to be super groovy. So, so will San Jose. Uh, I'm from the peninsula, so San Jose was always south of us, so we would go to see concerts there. Speaking of which, let's just, all right. A, a, a 70s rock star died this week named Ronnie Montrose, who I'm sure no one in this fucking room's ever heard of. But for the... Someone has heard of him? Please. Oh, okay. whoa, whoa. I guess I insulted someone's rock sensibilities out there just now. The rest of the room was quiet in tacit assent of what I said. <laughs> By the way, Mr. Huffington Post over there, you the fucking... The rest of the crowd was like, no, we haven't, and we're just going to stay quiet on this one, Greg. Because we don't know whether you're going to shit on this guy or fucking praise him to the heavens. And we don't want to come down on the wrong side before an adjudication is made, Hammurabi. I don't want to end up in the desert with a fucking camel standing over me pouring urine under my head, wearing a fucking bag around me and waiting for that bag to contract in the hot, hot sun later or having ants poured on my tongue and having a different confabulation of fucking plum pudding put on my genitals and then various quadrupeds invited to come by after one after the next and a kidna and a fucking anteater and whatever Baroque fucking torture Greg visits upon people who fucking dare to disagree with him. In, in the lair of vermilion proopsititude... Forgive me for not uh, 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 acknowledging that you... Some people would know who Ronnie Montrose was. Ronnie Montrose uh, was in a group called Montrose. They're for so area. Sammy Hagar, and I'm sorry about that. Sammy Hagar and Ronnie Montrose were in a, in a group called Montrose. And um, they rocked with a Q-U-E-D. And um, that's, this is my high school, the 50s. And um, Eisenhower, we had just desegregated uh, Topeka. Eisenhower was golfing. What a fun time it was, honestly. Uh, we watched TV and Ed, you know, we had Ed Wynn and whatnot. Um, thank you. We had Burl on TV. I'll kill you a million times. And good times they really were. Uh, Montrose did a song called Your Rock Candy that awesomely went like this. Wow, wow, wow. Subtle. And then, because this was the expressions of an adolescent boy for an adolescent girl, it was your rock candy, hard, sweet, and sticky. It was really good. Uh, and then one of their other songs was Get on Your Bad Motor Scooter and Ride Over to My Place and Stay All Night. Uh, and then horribly, Sammy Hagar would go, First thing in the morning, we'll be feeling all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> that most horrible of all 70s, next to far out and out of sight, I think. All right, all right, all right. Might have been one of the worst moments. Uh, but anyways, they, he, I saw him play when I saw uh, Sammy Hagar when I was in high school. I was busted for smoking dope, but I'll tell it another time. In any case, I end up at the fucking, uh, and it's, I think it's Rick Derringer. Uh, who the fuck was on this show? I'm looking at Matt. Matt, take me back to 1977. <laughs> All right, Greg, I will. Here's a tab of blotter paper. <laughs> and you can smoke inside. Why don't you have a Merit Ultralight? <laughs> or why don't you steal one of your mother's moors? Thank you. That'll take you back to 1977. Uh, Greg, don't break the thing, the, the, the glass grapes in the, on the table in the hallway. Uh-huh. And, and also that weaving with the God's eye in it. Don't fucking get caught up in that either. Or the hanging plants. Uh, yeah, the 70s were awesome. 
You could have sex unsafely, you could smoke inside, and everyone was fucking thin. <laughs> yeah, you fucking heard me. People were thin. And, as I just remembered the other day, no wa- bottles of water. We were, this wasn't Europe. No one ever grew up drinking bottles of water in this country. If you had to get water, you would drink it out of the hose or in a glass, or sometimes you kept a plastic jug that had been used for something else, like orange juice, full of water in the refrigerator. Or if you were really fancy, a pitcher, and then it got super fucking fancy later when the door of the refrigerator, if you went over to that person's house, they were usually named, you know, Kirshner. And uh, they had the refrigerator that had the door that you could put the glass in and it would cut the the crushed ice, cubed ice switch so that you can get cubed or crushed. Because sometimes you want crushed because what? You're making a snow cone or something? Because we're conducting a carnival in my avocado collared kitchen. Goldenrod and avocado. Goldenrod and avocado. I can see them to this moment. Throw rugs and then throw blankets that went over the back of couches and shit. They were everywhere. They were everywhere. And then uh, cozies that had, like, sand in them that you put your beer in, if anybody remembers those fucking things. I would go over to my sister's house in Glendale, Arizona, um, and her her and all of her friends would smoke and drink diet fucking drinks all day. And those drinks were Tab, uh, Fresca, which had a snappy alpine lemony taste. And these drinks made audible noises when you poured them in the glass. Like the glass would crack because you'd gotten it from the fridge thing and it would go like that. But then the drink would go like like they they made a fire fucking extinguisher noise because that's how much carbon dioxide was in these fuckers. It was exploding into the air. And they would smoke lady cigarettes like Virginia Slim's menthols, which were really long and thin, or Moore's, which were, as I remember in those days, we used to say like smoking a cabbage. They had, they were brown, brown paper, brown tobacco. And um, my friend Michael Welch's mom smoked Moore's. So when we get too high on fucking drugs, we would steal his mother's cigarettes because she always had a carton. And, uh, yeah, we ran out. But it was awesome. Mm. So I saw Montrose. I saw Sammy Hagar. It was Sammy Hagar, Dick, Rick, Derringer, and Foghat. And, uh, yeah, Foghat was as good as you would have thought they would be. <laughs> they wore different colored matching jumpsuits. How do I describe that to you? One was blue, one was orange. Yeah. And in line at the Cow Palace, people had jugs of vodka. This is what we drank. As I say, no bottles of water. You bought a soda pop and you balanced it between your fucking balls. That's how you drank in a car. And if you bought coffee, you just fucking held it for dear life like this. The whole fucking time. There was no nowhere to put it. Then you'd open the glove box and there were two circles drawn. They weren't even cup holders. They were circles and they were just drawn. And you'd fucking put it there and just... And no tops. The tops never came. You know, there's no open thing that you couldn't drink out of the top. You had to rip a top yourself mechanically into it. And that never fucking worked. And so your dad, my dad, would have a Salem, right? The Ray-Bans, a Salem. Cocksucker, cocksucker, cocksucker. Trying to get fucking get the coffee. And then you were the drink caddy because you were a child. Hold this, right? So you're holding... Your mother and father's hot coffee in your hands while the, my dad's fucking smoking with the windows up and shit and the, on the radio on the radio. Well, I'd like to know where you got the notion. Well, I'd like to know where you got rock the boat, don't rock the boat, baby. Tip the boat, don't tip the boat over. Yeah, fucking good times. And uh, and, and we'd go to like the county fair or whatever for real, just like in the Sly Stone song. Uh, except Larry Graham never sang the intro to the county fair. The county fair was the one place in the 70s, I will say, 
unlike now, where you can see it everywhere, it was the one place you could see people that you knew were on meth with tattoos. <laughs> now you can pretty much go anywhere. And I mean anywhere. And I'm not just talking about West Hollywood. I mean anywhere in the United States. I was just in Tennessee. All you have to do is walk out the fucking door in Tennessee and a guy with tattoos who's on meth will walk into you. <laughs> or drive his truck up your ass. Whereas in those days, you had to go to places to see people with tattoos, like saloons, uh, sailors often had tattoos, uh, and, and, uh, and everyone who worked in the carnival. And it would be, they would have love and hate, I swear to fuck. My dad would let me go on my own. On my own. Uh, God, the 70s were awesome. My dad would let me go on. Maybe that was your dad's call and not a whole decade's call, Greg. Uh, au contraire. People of younger birth than I. It was the whole fucking world. People, we didn't lock our doors all the time still. For reals. For reals. And um, so, and we trick-or-treated and no one fucking accompanied us. We would go out as groups of children. We did not have a dad. Now when the kids come to your door, there's a fucking dad or mom figure standing 15 feet behind if they're cool or right with them if they're a douche. And uh, we didn't have that. We had to deal with fucking needles and, and heroin and LSD-soaked popcorn balls and Milky Way. I was, when I, when I was little, I wanted a fucking drug bar so much, right? Like they would always go, people put drugs in the candy. I'm like, when do I get that fucking candy? Why do I have to have the fucking shitty... Does anyone remember milkshake bars? They were white and tasted like a milkshake. I don't even know if those are continued anymore. That ob obscure candy I recall from my youth. Um, and then, But, you know, you got the regular ones, right? The bite-sizers, my friend Tony Hawk says. Uh, the, the tiny Snickers and the tiny Milky Ways and the tiny Three Musketeers are this big. And they're called the fun size. And Tony Hawk's line was, I'd say rather the disappointingly small size. <laughs> it's funnier with an English accent. He's an English comic. They call them the fun size. I'd say the disappointingly small size. Not that much funnier, but all right. I, get, I, I gave it the old Eaton try. Uh, and uh, uh, we never got them. My dad would inspect them, and I've told this before, but, and he'd eat all the fucking candy is what he would do. He'd be like, let me see that fucking one over there. And I'm like, you're eating all of it. He's like, it might have a needle in it. Like, no one fucking... We're in San Carlos, California. You know, really... It's so fucking white. No one's putting anything in anything. <laughs> but they did make popcorn balls. And those weird wax skeletons and skulls that uh, had the liquid in them of an indeterminate nature that you would never allow a child to have under any circumstances because of, of its uh, toxicity and the coloring alone. It was like green number 55. You know, it was like really strange. You bite the head off it, chew the waxy head until it was a disgusting mess and then spit it at your pet and then drink the fucking juice out of it and we'd be like, that was gay. It was like the Otter Pop flavor that was green, you know, but like if it had stayed in the sun and then was transported in hot trucks vast distances across fucking arid prairies with blanched cattle skulls and signs, I'd turn back if I were you and then, uh, you know, like, like Little Feet said, you know, driven on the back road so I wouldn't get weighed, right? That's who's got a fucking hot load of fucking wax skulls full of liquid in the back. Is some methed up cocksucker driving through New Mexico in the middle of the fucking beating down sun who's turned the refrigeration off to save money for the man. That's the kind of candy we ate. And so... In any case, I goes to see Sammy Hagar and Foghat. And Foghat at one... Oh, yeah. Now, we're in line at Foghat uh, at the Cow Palace. And first of all, the name of the venue will just hip you to how fucking intimate it was. If the bovine culture was to erect 
a chateau to themselves. Certainly they would have more imagination than to call it the Cow Palace. You've never actually seen a venue called the People Palace before. I would have assumed cows would have been funnier. Uh, in any case, I, I saw many things there. Uh, and Elvis played there. And I've talked about the Cow Palace before, too. I, am, I have you cornered in the kitchen right now, is what's happening. <laughs> You've told this story before. Not the Fog Hat story. <laughs> There's really no point to the fog hat story other than in line, we were drinking vodka out of that jug and uh, everyone else was too. And I think they used to make you pour out your vodka. I can't remember. I think you were allowed to bring drinks in, but they couldn't be alcoholic. But of course, we always put vodka in fucking, you know, lemonade or whatnot. And um, uh, people in line, I remember douchey dudes from Daly City and Burlingame. Uh, and, oh, because the the peninsula where I'm from in the peninsula was of course the you steal my sunshine earth shoe uh, uh, overall wearing eat a peach fucking long hair I've got a funny hat oh I wore a funny hat through a good deal of school and um, we were you know hey everything's cool oh you're black that's weird and then <laughs> the upper peninsula was uh, the Ben Davis pants and the backward hats and those fucking little tight uh you know, canvas jackets and shit. They were a little harder than we were. There was a little more, um, uh, you know, male-male rape at those schools. Oceana High School and whatnot. We were from a super wimpy. Although when we had riots at our school, it kind of made it funner. Uh, so we, we're in line at Fog Hat and the dudes from Daily City and shit are yelling the titles of Fog Hat songs. I don't know if people still do this. I went to a Licky Lee concert last year with my wife at the uh, um, Greek Theater and uh, here in Los Angeles. And uh, no one yelled Licky Lee titles in line. I don't remember being outside and someone were like, uh, I'm good, I'm gone! Yeah! <laughs> Woo! Uh, that didn't happen. Did I tell the Licky Leak story? I did, right? Yeah, I did, yeah. And again, Foghat didn't do it. Licky Lee at the end of the show went, I love you. Foghat didn't do that. They didn't whisper, I love you. <laughs> it would have been inappropriate. Uh, people in line at the Foghat show were going, Slow ride! As if we were all supposed to fucking go, yeah. They quite possibly may play that. Duh, they're going to fucking play it. They had two fucking songs. Slow Ride and the other one. Of course, not only are they going to play Slow Ride, they might play Slow Ride like five times. You know they're going to do an 18-minute fucking virtuoso guitar solo, drum solo version of fucking Slow Ride. And then, as you recall in the song Slow Ride, horribly in the middle, they slow down to a horrible funk groove, and then, you know, the rhythm is right. That was the deep fucking part of the song, right? That was the part where, like, shit was supposed to explode. First of all, the lead singer's name was Lonesome Dave Pervert, which made it awesome. Yes, it was Pervert, but we all called him Pervert. And then their other song was Fool for the City. So in line, people were going, Fool for the City! And I believe, if my recollection stands me correct, and it often does, um, there was a guy with a banner that said Fool for the City. As if to indicate to the group, Fog Hat, at some point, I would appreciate it if you played my jam. The one that I like by you off the only album that any of us have by you that has both Fool of the City and Slow Ride two songs later on it. As if Fog Hut's going to get up there and go, 
we're going in some new directions. I hope you like fusion because we're. Oh, fuck, who's that young boy in the front? What does that sign say on it, Dave? I believe it says, Food for the City. We've been errant in our ways. Forgive us from straying from the blues rock, Canaan. If we may, we'd like to sing ourselves back into your good graces with a number called Fool for the City. Dave, if you will. When I hit the pavement, I get up and run. I can't remember the fucking lyrics. <laughs> Evolution, here I come. That was one of the fucking lyrics. Because I'm a fool for the city. Uh, uh. That is a fucking cracker. I'm like a fish out of water, I believe. Uh, in any case, uh, nothing big happened at the Foghat concert. No one got stabbed or anything. But I do remember at one point, um, the guitar player disappeared in a poof and then appeared again. And I think that was special effects. Either that or I was really, really drunk. Because I swear to God, at one point, poof, he just disappeared and then, poof, appeared somewhere else. And we all went like, did that fucking just happen? A dude from Daily City next to me went, whoa. And I was like, oh, that was weird. That was really weird. <laughs> fog hat so at that show Sammy Hagar I was with my friend Jane Asito and uh, Jake quoted it to me the other day because Ronnie passed uh, Ronnie Montrose got up with Sammy Hagar Sammy Hagar had no hits at this point um, this was before I Can't Drive 55 and Van Halen and all that he was just this, he was just the red rocker then man no he had a song called Red that went like this Red Red I want red there's no substitute for red <laughs> I know I make fun of the lyrics of today a lot, but wow. Okay? Hey, Black Eyed Peas, I owe you one. I've ridden your ass into the ground for years because of your shitty fucking lyrics and stuff. Because sometimes you think you're 2000 and great, but you're not. And, but Red, Red, I Want Red was a real toughie. And then uh, he played those jams. And then, um, uh, I'm tired of all this black and white. The spectrum made a shade I like. The ruby rays are crimson bright. Technicolor light. Yeah, that's how it fucking opened. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So he, he's on stage and Ronnie came on because Ronnie played in the band with Sammy. So Ronnie came on and Sammy was playing guitar. And Sammy goes, I'm going to put my guitar down. This son of a bitch is too good. <laughs> Deferring to Ronnie Montrose, obvious prowess. Then they played Rock Candy, and uh, we were quite happy. Rick Derringer, awesome. If you ever saw Rick Derringer, Rick Derringer started in 1953, and um, his first big giant hit was with, he was with the McCoys, and they did Hang On Sloopy, which as a child we always, of course, thought should have been Hang On Snoopy because Sloopy made no sense whatsoever to us, but Snoopy was very familiar to us indeed. So we would often substitute the word Snoopy so that the song made more sense. And uh, he, I think he was 15 or 16 in the McCoys. Then he was with the Edgar Winter group and all that. And he did Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, which is one of my favorite songs from high school, which includes the lyric, Lottie Mama, Light My Fuse. And um, yeah, going to say goodbye to all my blues. I believe my favorite lyric in, in those days was, I'm getting high all the time. Hope you all are too. Uh, come on a little closer. Going to do it to you. Right. So 
uh, he played first, and he wore like silver cowboy boots tucked in, and uh, and at one point said to the crowd, "What do you guys want? Blood!" <laughs> and I remember thinking, "Yeah, even as a sixteen-year-old, I'm not being that demanding, actually, Rick." I, I I was pretty happy with your playlist. You played fucking rock and roll with you and you played teenage love affair. You played all my jams. Let me in, sweet mama. That one you played. I was happy. I did not actually go. You know, Rick, I'm not going to be happy until you fucking bleed up there. Because I'd seen Kiss and they bled. And it wasn't that rewarding. It wasn't that rewarding. Not that rewarding. Uh, Then we'll be at uh, Halifax on April 27th at the Comedy Festival. If If there's any crustaceans listening right now, if anybody's on the wireless down there at the bottom of the sea near Prince Edward Island, I'd like to inform you. Thank you. I would like to inform you, Newfoundlanders, anyone on the east coast of Canada, actually none of them are even near Halifax. Halifax is in its own place in Nova Scotia. Or New Scotland, if you speak Latin. Yeah, one of the few places on our continent with a Latin name still. California is not, you know, well, California is a Spanish name, but Nova Scotia really takes the fucking cake. Uh, why didn't they call it New Scotland? We have New England and fucking New Jersey and shit like that. New, New York, pretty famous. Nova Scotia's cooler. If New York had been Nova Yorka, it would have made it funner. I think in some ways. Uh, Halifax is delightful in one way. The seafood is ridiculous. People who went to school in Halifax that took peanut butter were the high-class kids because everyone else, the poor kids, all brought lobster to school. Someone just went, What? Wow, did I detect some Hollywood skepticism in there? Uh, what? Uh, back that fucking tractor up. Hey, Proop Dissembler, what kind of fucking wanky-ass 411 are you dropping on us here? There's holes all over this. Fucking liquid's running all out of this premise. Because... that's the place like if I told you here there was a million 15 year olds in Hollywood who all had fucking BMWs when they were 16 and shit you'd go like right because you know what Hollywood's like and you know how people treat their fucking children here they have phones and servants and whores and they've already had marriages and shit you know yeah no it's medieval here right it's medieval people are you know by the time they're 21 they've like Lindsay Lohan or whatever she just hosted Saturday Night Live she's lived like eight lives Uh, and she grew up here in, in, in the show business movies. So uh, when I say to you, in, in Halifax, or Halifax, or Halifax, uh, or, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that everyone's a fisherman, and all they fish is lobster, because it just fucking jumps out of the sea there. It's the cold part of the fucking, there's, I don't even know if the Gulf Stream goes by there. It's fucking cold. So lobsters grow to immense fucking sizes, and sometimes they're, bright blue I don't know if you ever once in a while they'll pull a blue lobster out of the fucking water there and everyone takes a picture of it and shit because lobsters aren't blue you guys I mean blue blue like wow Bobby Venton blue like wow that was blue on blue heartache on heartache fucking till I yeah like blue not like Sammy Hagar when they're cooked because then they're there's no substitute for red but I'm talking about like blue on blue uh and, and uh, that, so when you go to, to dinner there, the last time I went to dinner, I had a dozen uh, local oysters and a lobster on my own, on my fucking own. Yeah, I was uh, arrested later because my head lit up because of the amount of mercury inside my body. 
And then Jeremy Piven and I couldn't do our show that night. Thank you for remembering. Uh, Thelonious Monk said, you've got to dig it to dig it. You dig? And when you're swinging, swing some more. Well, we almost got swinging for a minute there, so I think I'm going to swing some more. Uh, I was, my wife uh, gave me this today. Uh, we, we, a question came up a couple of weeks ago about 1984 and um, Brave New World. And I can't remember the crux of the question. I, I don't know if they were asking me to compare them. or I think it might have been which one I thought was more pertinent to today. And I gave some one of my usual flim-flammery spun fucking candy answers where, you know, I hit on both sides and tried to play it up the middle. I think in the end I came down on the 1984 side because there's way more torture in 1984. Uh, and, and Brave New World, there's torture, but it's more psychological. And also, oh, things are so harsh and rough sometimes that I think really 1984 answers a lot more questions. Brave New World comes down, if only he had anticipated... Uh, iPhones, but he almost did, as I've often said on the show, because he anticipated feelies where you, you go to the movies and you put your hands on the, the knobs and people are raped and people have sex and people get shot and you feel everything, right? So we're heading for him on that way. That's Huxley. In any case, what are you getting at, Greg? Uh, uh, there's a, a, um, a website called Letters of Note. And on October 49, a few months after the release of Orwell's dystopian masterpiece, 1984, he received a fascinating letter from fellow author Aldous Huxley, who, 17 years previous, had seen his own nightmarish vision of society published in the form of Brave New World. What begins as a letter of praise soon becomes a brief comparison of the two novels. That's the awesome part. Now, apparently, Orwell uh, had been taught uh, French briefly at Eton by Huxley. And Huxley was a learned man from a learned family. Look up the Huxley family tree one time. There's zillions of them, and they're all wildly accomplished. Aldous, of course, wrote uh, Brave New World, and then also The Doors of Perception, uh, where he took um, mescaline, which is the, uh, yeah, blah, 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 Jim Morrison. I forget that everybody doesn't know, and then I become patronizing to myself in the middle of a sentence and just went blah, 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 blah like that, rather than explain what the fuck I was talking about to people who are trying to follow a fucking one-sided conversation here. <laughs> But I'm not holding up both sides of the one-sided conversation. If you were in a conversation and you were in the middle of fucking mid-description to someone and you just went blah, 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 would they accept that? I don't think they would. So let me go back and amend that sentence. Aldous Huxley took mescaline and wrote a small uh, book about his experience called Doors of Perception. When I say small, I mean it's, it's brief. I don't mean it's a small book. Uh, it was ever so important because Jim Morrison read it and named his group The Doors of perception, right? Uh, because, and then, what was their first song? Uh, you know the night divides the day. Right? Or, or did I get it wrong? Yeah. Break on through. Exactly, to the other side. Uh, break on through. Uh, and uh, so Huxley uh, had, had written the uh, Brave New World much earlier, and Orwell had just said, well, fucking all you did was steal We, which we've also talked about on the show by Zama Yen, uh, which is another dystopian written in the Kami era by a Russian earlier. Of course, there's always been these dystopias. And, um, but these are two important books because Brave New World and 1984 are both still fucking pertinent, which is what's shocking uh, to us uh, living now. Uh, that the violence and uh, the, the, the categorization, the predestination, the uh, genetic interference, uh, the, 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 the triumph of drugging the populace is all what Brave New World is. The loose sex and the offering of cheap thrills to people in lieu of having a spiritual life uh, and that everybody's uh, predestined to live in a certain class. And then, of course, 1984 is this wildly violent police state where people spy on you all the time and do things like 
the Obama administration, like send drone predators to fucking kill members of your own society and then say the government has every legal right to, except they don't even have to say the government has every legal right to in that fucking book because they're that dystopian. So he wrote, from Wrightwood, California, uh, Dear Mr. Orwell, it was very kind of you to tell your publisher to send me a copy of the book. I had to wait a long time, blah. Agreeing with all the critics have written, I may not tell you yet once more how fine and profoundly important the book is. May I speak instead of the thing which the book deals, the ultimate revolution? The first hint of a philosophy... Uh, of the ultimate revolution, the revolution which lies beyond politics and economics and which aims at total subversion of the individual psychology and physiology are to be found in the Marquis de Sade who regarded himself as the continuator, the consummator of Robespierre and Babeuf. Now, I'm not smart enough to know who Babeuf is. Next week when we convene, I will have an answer for you. <laughs> Robespierre, as you know, was the one who led uh, the, uh, the bloody first part of the French Revolution and then, of course, um, had his head lopped off by other revolutionaries. I was excited beyond all measure to hear the word continuator um, used in such a context because I can only presume since Aldous Huxley used it that not only is it right, it's unbelievably appropriate. Uh, the philosophy of the ruling minority in 1984 is a sadism which has been carried to its logical conclusion by going beyond sex and denying it. Uh, now, of course, Huxley and his book has orgies, right? The big difference, uh, aside from the, you know, the vision of the totalitarian state in each of the novels is, in Huxley's book, you get together every week with your group and everybody shags everybody. And it's called orgy-porgy, right? And you spank the girls in front of you, right? Orgy-porgy, Ford and Fun, kiss the girls and make them one. In 1984, when he sees Julia, when, when Winston sees Julia for the first time in the hallway, she's attractive. And he's thinking, mm, I'd like to. But they live in a world where you can't have intimate relationships. And he says she's wearing the purple sash of the fucking anti-sex league. Right? There's an anti-sex league because women, there's not supposed to be any casual intimacy between people. You procreate or fucking don't procreate at all. Don't do anything at all. Uh, so Orwell, because he's more puritanical in that regard, and his book's the anti-sex book, said about fucking Huxley, of course he couldn't have people, everything comes down to flagellating women with him. Uh, are you right? Like, because he has girls getting spanked in his fucking book. Uh, but it's true that uh, uh, 1984 goes beyond sex and denies it. Whether an actual fact or policy of the boot and the face can go on indefinitely seems doubtful. Okay, he just said in the first sentence, uh, may I speak uh, yet once more how fine and profoundly important the book is. F seven sentences down, your premise, <laughs> the policy of boot on the face can go on indefinitely, seems doubtful. So at the beginning, I wanted you to know, George, that I fucking loved your book. Let me just tell you why I didn't love it as much as I might have loved it. In 1984, when he's got uh, Winston on the torture table, uh, the um, O'Brien, the, the, the Torquemada, uh, says, if you'd like to know what the future's like, Winston, picture a boot stamping on a human face forever. Right? That's the future. Uh, because there's always going to be military totalitarianism and torture. Kind of like now. Uh, but I love that he says it's doubtful. Of course, Burgess thought it was doubtful too. Burgess said that 1984 is built on a cloud castle that people would eventually empower themselves, like we've seen in the last year uh, with uh, the Middle East and occupying all that. Uh, my own belief is that the ruling oligarchy will find less arduous and wasteful ways of governing and of satisfying its lust for power, and these ways will resemble those which I described in Brave New World. <laughs> About how fine and important your book is. I think you'll find 17 years before, my descriptions were a little more, one, accurate, 
and too pertinent. Now, in Brave New World, everyone's on drugs. Soma, the drug Soma, which we actually have a drug Soma named after the drug Soma from that book. And they take it, and when they're angry, and they go, Grandma's better than the dam. That's the slogan and whatnot. So they're perpetually drugging themselves. They have casual sex every weekend. Um, they go to the movies and, and pretend to be raped and shoot people and shit. Um, it's a lot like now. We have video games instead, and we have the drugs and all that, and we have iPhones that we touch all the time with our fingers, and we never wash them, and they're filthy, horrible, icky devices covered with germs and protozoa and shit, and we carry on eating and touching them and touching them and touching them and touching them and then playing Angry Birds and then touching them more and shit like that and then I use my douchebag app to find my douchebag friends and shit and then, oh yeah oh yeah 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 the only thing we're missing from our real world is the torture and the fucking mayhem but that's the part that Orwell that all I think upper middle class people miss about the fucking novel right only because we're middle class do are we missing the torture if you uh, were in Mexico or uh, or were even an American who decided to work for the other side the fact that a drone predator might strike you if you were in Guantanamo Bay or Abu Ghraib or what's the big prison in Afghanistan that's open still Abu Ghraib's closed but um uh, is it outside of Kandahar? I can't remember the one there. Uh, torture is a reality, as Ice-T once said, word. Um, <laughs> because it's going on all the time. If you're in North Korea or Russia, for instance, Russia just had an election this week. And Putin claimed that he won the election. And the newspapers dutifully reported that he claimed he won the election. And they've been protesting all fucking week in Russia. Well, Stalin said, who controls the voting controls nothing. Who controls counting the votes controls everything. And that's been a Russian tradition forever and ever and ever. And 1984 is, of course, based on uh, Russia, as well as, uh, let's be very fucking frank about it, England. That's what Ingsoc is, English socialism. Uh, I've had these uh, ways resemble those which I describe in Brave New World. I've had an occasion recently to look into the history of animal magnetism and hypnotism. (laughs) Animal magnetism? (laughs) Taking me back to the 18th century, (laughs) bro-ham. And I've been greatly struck by the way which for 150 years the world has refused to take serious cognizance of the discoveries of Mesmer... Braid, Esdale, and the rest. Okay, now we're into some esoteric shit here. This is this is the shit that Huxley believed, right? That that Hans Mesmer and uh, and and that there was such a thing as animal magnetism. And I guess basically it comes down to mass hypnosis and psychology, which is of course used all the fucking time, as just described. I gave all of you a tiny distracting device that would keep you from talking with your loved ones all the time, but rather have you like this in all your spare moments, no matter where you are. You're never there, as Fran Leibowitz said. Fran Leibowitz said, when you're on your phone, you're not where you are and it's so true because when you see people like this every stoplight in Los Angeles you know what I'm talking about every stoplight in Los Angeles no one's head is up waiting for that light to change everyone's like this right so that's the kind of hypnotism that they can do without even telling us we're being fucking hypnotized partly because of the prevailing materialism and partly because of the prevailing respectability 19th century philosophers not willing to investigate the odder facts of psychology <laughs> Surely not. Um, in any case, uh, this, this is uh, what he concludes with. Within the next generation, I believe that the world's rulers will discover that an infant conditioning and narco-hypnosis are more efficient as instruments of government than clubs and prisons. Now, he wrote this letter in 1949, and now we're in 2012, and we still see clubs and prisons. Uh, yes, we have, um, what did he call it here? Um, ha- narco-hypnosis no 
No one's doing narco hypnosis. Sleep learning is, is, I think, gone by the fucking wayside. That's not Huxley's fault. It's not, it's not Huxley's fault that he thought it worked then. Uh, it's just that we know now we don't have to narco hypnotize anyone. Everyone can be fully awake uh, while they are hypnotized uh, and given an iPad with uh, stuff on it all day that dazzles them. Oh, look, I'm buying a cow or whatever. <laughs> Uh, 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 I feel that the nightmare of 1984 is destined to modulate into the nightmare of a world having more resemblance to that which I imagined in Brave New World. Really? Twice in one letter? God damn it. You taught me French, you cocksucker. Get off my dick. A large-scale biological and atomic war, in which case we shall have nightmares of other and scarcely unimaginable kinds. Thank you once more for the book. Awesome. Super awesome. Thank you, Jennifer, for giving me that. Let's take a couple of questions here if you wanted to. Oh, I know. Uh, let's talk about uh, Audible, our sponsor. Audible.com has many books. I believe they have 1984. I know because I was looking today, as a matter of fatched, uh, that um, Brave New World, read by Michael York, is in the top fucking selections on Audible.com. Something in the air, right? Or was, who was it, Bloodwind Pig, who did that song? Because the sound... Thing in the air. Thunderclap Newman. Thank you, thank you, Michael. And you know it's right. Boom, 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 boom. And that's from uh, Magic Christian, is it? At the very end, yeah. Uh, Audible.com. Um, if this is a call to action, go to www.audiblepodcast.com/smartest, and you will get a free audio book today. Uh, they have uh, over 75,000 titles to choose from. And you can hear Michael York read Brave New World, which we listened to a bit of, and it was awesome. Because Michael York talks like James Mason now. <laughs> Thousands of glimmering test tubes. <laughs> the predetermination whether you would be a male or a female. <laughs> he, we, he said, test tubes. <laughs> Very good. Very good indeed. Uh, so uh, if you want to uh, go to Audible, uh, that will help us out. Uh, and then also, uh, if you want to question me or poke me or prod me or query me or dandle me in any way upon your knee, cyber-wise, um, smartest at a special thing com is our email. And it's only taken me 13 months to memorize that. <laughs> Using narco-hypnosis <laughs> and infant conditioning. Sadly, the word narco-everything has left our vocabulary. It was much funner than anything we use now, like sleep thing or whatever. Uh, when are these questions from? Oh, these are tonight's. Look how many fucking questions I have not got to. I don't read them. I was making these guys go through them and go, which ones have you read? I sometimes would put a star next to it, which is a very poor program, because it doesn't mean, it doesn't indicate whether you've actually fucking answered it or not. Uh, let's, go, let's go backwards. Let's start at the very beginning, huh? Rogers and Hammerstein, is it? Uh, let's see, here we go. Uh, the most reverend and right honorable, the Lord Archbishop of Kittendom, Mr. Proops. Well, fancy town trolley. Ding, ding. Let's get off here where the candy shop is. I'll have a sarsaparilla with two scoops of maple ice cream. Ooh, I like the part where it hardens in the soda pop. Uh, you can address me any way you wish. A simple, hey, bro, will work. But uh, I do, of course, enjoy the fancy ones more. 
Most Reverend and Right Honorable the Lord. Are, oh, there's no comma, but it, okay, whatever. I'm, now I'm critiquing it. The Most Reverend and Right Honorable, the Lord Archbishop of Kittenham, comma, Mr. Proops, colon. If you had to relive one full year of your life, which year would you choose and why? Have we not done that one? Anybody? I always look at the producers because this is a presumption that I have laboring in the back of my mind. Uh, and maybe a misapprehension that I'm laboring under, much like an overlord in 1984 forcing one of his coolies to work ceaselessly in a salt mine. Uh, and it's this, that they actually listen to the show and remember anything. <laughs> I listen to it back every week, but often I'm on a plane to the next gig, so sometimes I fall asleep halfway through the show, like you guys do, and then I wake up toward, I wake up toward the end when the boring preachy part's over and go, oh, that was a funny dick joke he made at the end. And I actually talk about myself in the third person in my mind. And I'll tell you one thing, I'm tired of all this black and white! I can't believe Sammy Hagar's gotten so much play in this episode. <laughs> the other time I saw Ronnie Montrose was <laughs> better than the first time when he was with Sammy Hagar. Uh, well, my cousin Donnie and I uh, were, were more like brothers than cousins, and I lived at his crib for a while and with, my, with my aunt and uncle. And we would get high and go to rock concerts, often the Ramones or something like that. This one was, what the fuck was it? ACDC. Unforgettable. We, we dressed up and uh, we put on scarves and fucking dressed like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Silly. And, uh, uh, and sport coats and I had my big glasses in my hair and we posed in front of the mirror and took Polaroids of ourselves. <laughs> that was the 70s. That was the 70s. And, uh, and we drove down to San Jose, some fucking horrible gig in San Jose. ACDC was literally at this point, 900 years later, one of the best shows I've ever seen in my fucking life. Uh, Bond didn't wear a shirt. He had jeans and tennis shoes, no shirt. And they did, it was all their 78 hits, right? So it was uh, no, back in, no Back in Black, no um, Highway to Hell. It was uh, 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 Let There Be Rock and fucking uh, The Jack and... Um, um, uh, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll and all those a whole lot of Rosie and the crowd didn't chant Angus then that's how long ago it was right <laughs> now any recording you'd hear of it they would go ah, 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 ah. Um, and Bon Scott was that's fucking unbelievable unbelievably good so he had a sneaky cordless, right? Angus had a sneaky cordless, which in 1978 was beyond the fucking realm of technology. <laughs> How you could have a guitar that didn't have a fucking cord attached to the amplifier and still be heard was unbelievably amazing to us. So he had a cordless guitar, and at one point they fucked off the stage, and it was just the who's in the band, the Rudd Brothers. Talk about unfuckable. The rest of a, the rest of ACDC is up there. <laughs> And the drummer, who's a metronome. A metronome. Is there a better drummer ever? I mean, they talk about Charlie Watts and shit, but Charlie Watts swings a little bit, and Ringo totally swings. But fucking the drummer for ACDC just goes, bum, 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 bum. That's all he fucking does. There's no flourishes. There's no frills. He's never on the fucking hi-hats. There's, there's no triplets. There's no doublets. There's nothing, man. He just fucking, bum, but it's fucking good. Really good. Really good. Really good. Ladders and snakes. Ladders win. Snakes take. I'm going in! Right? It was fucking good. I'm going to win in Sin City. Think about it. 
Uh, yeah. Oh, ye of little scoffage. So, Angus and uh, Bond fuck off the stage, and we're like, okay, interesting move. And then they reappear and are found in the crowd. Angus is being carried by Bond. Angus is still headbanging furiously. And they walk through the whole fucking crowd and then back again and went back. And like, yeah, imagine, imagine being a teenage boy in the 70s. How exciting that moment must have been. I know there's a lot of people who are like, your decade ate ass. I'm from the 90s. I took a fuckload of E and went to a rave at a farm in Vermont. And I think I got a blowjob from two people. About your ACDC story, Greg, I was doing big box, little box while something was on fire behind me. Not with my fucking cousin wearing scarves and shit, you fruit bat. And the music didn't go, bum, 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 bum. You fucking hetero straight guy tied to the past, fucking slave. Our music went. Yeah. We were listening to some broke down fucking Belgian house from the Flemish area of Belgium. Not the Walloon area. Because Walloon House was fronting. Flemish was representing, Greg. Stop with these fucking stories and shit. Then the next band on was Ronnie Montrose. And it wasn't Montrose anymore. He had gone in some new directions, and Michael, you'll remember, Gamma which was a much more instrumental-based sort of... I don't even know if he had a vocalist, sort of God. And my cousin and I, ACDC finished, Ronnie Montrose band started to set up, and they were like, at all Bill Graham concerts in those days, they would, a guy would come out and announce the concert's coming up. April 4th at the San Jose Civic Auditorium, the triumphant return of Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> that's always what the bands were. Gary Wright and Spooky Tooth, right? That's who you're getting. And then by this point, it was the seven, late 70s, so then in, intermixed with all the old-time rock bands, uh, it would be like April 16th at the Concord Pavilion, Rick Wakeman. And then the next one would be on April, 15, April 18th at Winterland, The Ready Maids with Blondie, right? And the, we had gone new wave. So... Uh, we, as soon as they have finished the announcements, they're like, uh, Ronnie Montrose and Gamma are going to come on. And my cousin and I just looked at each other and went, let's go. <laughs> so, this one's for you, Ronnie. I didn't, I didn't fucking see Gamma, buddy. But I will put this vodka down because you're too goddamn good. Mm. He's all right. If you hear the Montrose album and you're high, you'll fucking, when they do Rock the Nation, you'll go, okay, I liked it a little. Where's the goddamn question? Oh, here it is. Don't ever, ever shuffle my fucking papers on me again. If you had to relive, or is it relive? If you had to relive one full year of your life, which year would you choose and why? Noel asks this, or is it Noel? Um, because I know one thing, born is the king of Israel. Um, well, Noel, Noel, um, Noel, uh, 
That's a good question. I often, I don't often think about this, although I am, as you know, more backward looking than any other human that ever lived. I believe Dave Frischberg called it the dear departed past. Um, and, oh, Kittens McTavish, what are we at? Getting close. 55? Um, I, I do, I don't think about every year of my life because, uh, you know, je ne regret rien, right? <laughs> if you think too much about certain years ago, that was the pivotal moment when I could have made a decision that would have made me a gajillionaire who lives on a yacht made of gold. <laughs> and obviously I, that decision didn't get made. He's... <laughs> Which, in one way, of course, makes me cool. Because I'm not an acquisitive bag of fuck that walks around the earth. And I've maintained a, a certain amount of funny, which I think is almost impossible to do uh, at a, when you get too weird. Uh, call it Elvis, call it what you will. Oh, so I'm at Nashville last week. And I, I went to the Country Music Hall of Fame, right? And with my cousin Carol. Yes, I have a cousin Carol. And... Um, Carol Proops, in fact. Yes, there are other Proopses. They're all related to me, by the way. If you meet anyone in this country named Proops, should you ever meet anyone named Proops, which I doubt almost, uh, I really think is infinitesimal odds of you meeting another Proops, they're my cousin. I don't, I don't have any brother. I have, my brothers and sisters aren't named Proops, and my, my cousins are. And, uh, and then there's second or third cousins that are also from a further back grandfather, and those are Proops, too. I think they live in the Midwest somewhere. I've never met them. But uh, Carol I've met, and she's my cousin. And we went to... Uh, she lives in Nashville, of all fucking things. We went to uh, the Country Music Hall of Fame, as you do. What are you going to do in Nashville? You're going to have barbecue. You're going to go to the Country Music Hall of Fame. Uh, well, uh, what, what am I going to do? But I'm one of those... I'm a traditional tourist... If I go to Rome, I'm going to the fucking Coliseum. I'm not going to go, oh, I, I saw an Anthony Bourdain once where <laughs> he fucking, he goes to Cairo, right? And he goes on a, 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 a faluka, what do they call them? A faluka? Uh, the, the boats that fly up and down the Nile, right? And he makes a big goddamn point out of saying, I'm not going to the pyramids. I'm not going to go to the pyramids. And everyone keeps going, are you going to the pyramids? And he's like, I'm not going to go to the pyramids. <laughs> Hey, guess what, Anthony? Fuck you. <laughs> One, fuck, and two, parentheses, B, you. <laughs> the pyramids are enduring. They were there before anyone can remember. They'll be there after anyone can remember. They're more important than you and your shitty fucking agenda of eating bad fucking Egyptian food, because let's face it, there isn't any good Egyptian food. <laughs> He went to Mafu, what's his, the, Naxine Mafu's is uh, the, the coffee house where he wrote all his novels. That was cool. He wrote in the Faluka. The Faluka broke down, and then he whinged about it the whole fucking time. And then the Faluka broke down, and you're like, dude, you could have been at the pyramids. <laughs> Instead of going up and down the Nile in the douchebag boat as a douchebag all by yourself and not ever listening to your guides and always interjecting and telling everyone what's what without ever listening to their fucking answer, which you do incessantly, you could have gone to the fucking pyramids, couldn't you? And ridden a donkey, and that would have been funny. That'd have been funny to see your long ass on the fucking donkey and then eating a hot dog or whatever fucking, heaven knows what snacks they have at the falafel, I guess. It wouldn't be a hot dog, really, would it? I'm just guessing. Muslim countries don't really have hot dogs outside the most sacred sites they had. We, we have taken the pig's nose and ground it up so that it is, it's delicious for you. 
If I go to Egypt, I'm going to the fucking pyramids. I went to Turkey. I went to Hagia Sophia. I went to Topkapi. You know, you fucking go where you fucking. I went to Prague. I went to that awful, awful fucking thing, the castle and whatnot. Uh, I've been to the I've been to the Eiffel Tower. I've been to the I went to the top of the Eiffel Tower. You gotta go, London. I've been to the Tower Bridge. Uh, I also uh, scared a, a, a mouse under the Queen's chair when I was in London. Proopy cat, proopy cat, where have you been? I've been to London to visit the Queen. And uh, I think you have to do those things because they're fun. Oh, oh, now having said that, I've I lived in San Francisco for uh, you know fifty, eighty years. I, I never went to Alcatraz. I've never been to Alcatraz. Seen it. Never been. Are you going to go? No. No. I'll never get that five hours back. This is where Alvin Creepy Carpus was kept from 1933 until... You can't smoke dope behind that wall, sir. This is a public park and you can't... There's no smoking on the island. What? Where's Al Capone's cell? Al Capone was in Alcatraz for but a brief time when he was trying to recover from a spirochete the size of a water wiggle that was burrowing through his brain. His tertiary syphilis made Al one of the most hilarious members of Cell Block 5. Who want to hear Jolson? This is me as Al Capone with tertiary syphilis while he was in his cell at Alcatraz. Toot, toot, tootsie, goodbye. Toot, toot, tootsie, don't cry. We should your trainee take me. She never know. You sad, you sad, you sad, you make me. Quiet down in there. Shut up, screw. The Birdman of Alcatraz. I, I know what it's going to be like. I know what it's going to be like. Watch for the mail. I never fail. You no get no ladder. You know I'm in jail. If you had to relive... I mean, I want to say the year... Uh, there's the year I met my wife. There's the year we started going out. There's the year we got married. I'm going to say 1997, because in 1997, we, my wife and I went to uh, Edinburgh Festival, I think Montreal Festival, uh, uh, a Belfast Festival, uh, Melbourne and uh, a Sydney. I mean, we went, it was a fucking crazy year. I, 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 I'll mark this with a star, Matt. And remember to tell another story that I won't tell right now. Uh, about a show that I hosted live in Australia, which I think I might have told on the Australian episode, called Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. I, I think I did tell that story. I did. Uh, and, 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 and it had Sheryl Crow doing Every Day is a Winding Road. That'll give you an idea what year it was. Uh, so that was, a pretty, that was a pretty wild year. I really enjoyed that year. And uh, we also came to L.A. and I think started doing... American Who's Line then. It was a really wild year. So I'm going to pick that one just because even though at the time uh, I couldn't appreciate it at all because I was an arrogant bag of fuck man, piece of shit with no fucking gratitude in my soul whatsoever. Not like now in my older, more weak years where I'm like Marlon Brando in the garden with the orange in his mouth. And, ooh, ooh, ooh. 
Anthony, Anthony, come here. Anthony, come here. I'm going to spend the gun. How's your son? He reads me the funny papers. He reads you the funny papers. I was more arrogant then. I was an asshole like all men in their 30s. What can I tell you? Sorry, you guys. <laughs> men in their 30s just can't uh, be any other way. There really is no other fucking way. Or as Blur said, just previous to 1997 when I lived there, there's no other way. There's no other way. All you can do is watch them play. Uh, so that would be the year I pick. Um, but I also would pick any year of my life to live over. Well, let's not be too fucking easy on that one. That was a little, that was a little expansive. There's some couple of years in there that shall not be repeated no matter what fucking happened. 1985 was a good year, too. That was a really good year. Uh, notice I didn't pick 1984, because I think you'll find that Aldous Huxley already covered that life. <laughs> he covered that year for me in his novel. That his version of my 1984 was actually more accurate than the year I lived in 1984. <laughs> I don't think we're going to do any more questions, but I will say, uh, join me on uh, proopcast.com. You can always download this show for free uh, and come and visit us at one of our many live shows. Many of them are free. And if you can come and see us in Europe, that would be groovy most. Uh, we're going to do uh, uh, a little more now, but I think well, we're going to wrap it up now. My name is Greg Proops. This has been The Smartest Man in the World, and I thank you very much for coming out. I wish you nothing but joy, love, peace, and soul. <laughs>